We welcome your ears. We welcome your ears. We welcome your ears. My whole life, I've never really demonstrated. I've had varying opinions on everything that's happening in the world. But today, I was told by a friend that uh, there was a demonstration for freedom. Thank you very much. And uh, that I wanted to participate because I've never actually participated in a demonstration before. So I really want to come out, show my support. Uh, see who's here. It's beautiful to be with like-minded people, and uh, I'm really enjoying the experience as it stands now. You're listening to The Sill Podcast with Peter Noche and Harry Posner. Episode 157. Citizen Engaged, Challenging the Status Quo. on a mission a couple of weekends ago. You decided to join the march in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a World Freedom Day march. You told me that you hadn't attended a march in 50 years. Is that right? That's right. I'm not a young person anymore. I'm 70. The last time I marched, put my body where my mouth was, was when I was about 20 years old. Actually, some friends and I went on a bus, a school bus, went to Ottawa Mm. to protest the Lytton Industries connection to nuclear arms at the time. 1971. Uh, There you go. I was a mere 20 years old, an idealistic young punk. And uh, that's the last time I actually did that. So here we are 50 years later, and you decide that you're going to attend, and you did attend. In fact, you even made some recordings there that we may use throughout this podcast, or at least the odd piece of it. To not do something for 50 years and suddenly decide, not only consider it, but actually go and travel an hour to get there and walk for, how long were you walking for? Well, we met and for about two hours gathering with music and talks and speeches, and then we marched for another couple of hours. So about a four, four and a half hour day. Okay. So basically a day out of your life, not for a young chicken. (laughs) (laughs) No, you know. Seriously, there aren't many people in your age group that would have considered it under the circumstances, perhaps. Yeah. Surprisingly, there were quite a few gray hairs there. I was a bit surprised, but yeah, there was no shortage of people who would be considered vulnerable, let's say. Right. So the obvious question that comes to my mind is, what motivated it? What made you take that step and actually do it? Okay. Please bear with me. It's a long-winded answer. And during the course of this interview, let me just preface this interview by saying, or this discussion, by saying by the end of it, there are people who may come to hate me. But that's Mm. okay, because I can only speak my truth And whatever that results in is fine by me. So to answer your question, and we've been in a state of essential emergency Mm -hmm. for what now going on 17 months or so here in Canada, here Mm -hmm. in Ontario. And over that time period, I've listened to the government experts and the politicians every step of the way 
telling us how to think about this virus, this pandemic, and how to act, and what we must do, and what the health experts say we must do. And there are all these layers from lockdown, social distancing, hygiene, up to the vaccines, masking, that every step of the way, as these things kind of were layered into the response to COVID, I became a bit more unsure about that original fear and panic that had set in. And I felt less inclined to just follow the lead. And I began to ask questions. I began to do some research. I began to double check when somebody in the health department said, masking is important. I was asking myself, how important is it? And trying to find the scientific studies that would justify masking an entire population, especially young people who are less prone to being affected by it. Right. So all of these things began to add up. And as the year progressed, I began to speak up more on social media and mm -hmm. got heat for it and got into all kinds of discussions with people. Mm -hmm. And finally, as the vaccine passport idea has begun to take root in different countries in the world. And in Canada, people are talking about it. I thought, enough is enough. I have to step out on the street. I have to put my body where my mouth is mm -hmm. and walk with these people, okay? So I decided that that would be an appropriate time to do it because we are at a critical moment in terms of these vaccine passports, etc. Mm -hmm. And it's not just about health, it's about human rights as well. Well, for me personally, over the last year, year and a half, I went from a fairly neutral position to the more conservative approach, mm -hmm. parts of me and parts of this whole thing, because for me, what this comes down to is primarily the right to choose. Yeah. And my other concern, which has been my concern for much longer than a few weeks, it's been over a year ago when I said that my greatest concern with COVID going forward would be how we treat each other more so than COVID itself. Right. Now. This isn't to minimize COVID in any way, because I take it seriously. It's not that I don't think it's real or that people don't get sick or don't die. However, I believe that we've lost our perspective on some of this, and I understand both sides of the equation. So I'm not having this discussion as for something or against something as much as I am. It's important for both sides to know more and to learn more about what's actually going on. And what I see now as serious, especially in the last I would say last month or two, where there's a ramp up now because of all the vaccine hesitancy, there's now a big push, especially, for example, south of the border. It's very noticeable in the U.S., but everywhere to some degree where they realize that they can't reach the numbers the way they'd like to with as much speed for any number of reasons. And now they're resorting to all kinds of things in order to get those numbers up. Lotteries. A uh, hundred dollars to each person. I think that's New York. Hundred dollars for someone who gets vaccinated. Right. Ice cream for children. Little incentive there. Tickets to baseball games. Right. Right. So the first question when I hear all that is basically, if something is that good and that credible, why do we have to resort to these kinds of gimmicks or setups in order to enforce this particular yeah. situation? Now the mandate as well. I understand that the thinking behind it is saving people's lives, except that there's also a contingent of people on the other side who believe that their lives are threatened by the very things that some people think the opposite on. Yes, of course. So what you have here is a situation where it's a literal impasse, and it's very obvious that the pro side, whether it's vaccine or mandate, 
is increasing relative to because of the push. And even though the numbers may not be equal on both sides, there's a resorting here now to name-calling and to almost criminalizing individuals who are in disagreement. Yeah, the new dirty words are vaccine hesitancy and natural or herd immunity. Those are dirty words. You can't speak those words in public without getting heat. If someone calls me vaccine hesitant, I can deal with that. These are words used to describe a situation. What I'm talking about is demonization. I'm talking about where you're looked upon as responsible and guilty of almost a crime because you have an opposing view and because you do not succumb to the public or the popular position. Right, and one comes to an opposing view from many different angles. So, for example, in that protest, in that march, mm -hmm. there were Black Lives Matter people, there were anti-vaccination people, there were people who were indigenous movements people, there were people who were marching because of their children being forced or coerced into vaccination, people who were there simply because they feel that their rights have been trampled on for a year and a half without justification, mm -hmm. and that the Charter of Rights and Freedoms protects them, and yet governments have overridden that, and they feel in an unjustified way. There's all kinds of angles. And so what happens is in a crisis like this, it makes for odd bedfellows. Mm -hmm. So there were extreme groups. There were Jesus freaks in that group. Mm -hmm. But there were also, for the most part, individual citizens like myself mm -hmm. became engaged and felt strong enough to get out on the street. Now, being a Canadian, eh, mm -hmm. <laughs> I tend to be, like most Canadians, a little bit slow to galvanize mm -hmm. and engage in that way. In Europe, we've seen marches of 500,000 people in London, all over France, hundreds of thousands of people. But here, it's a lot smaller. So that march was probably 15 to 20,000 people in Toronto. And for those listening, we should also note that those large marches that you spoke of, I don't even recall them being really talked about in the media. Mainstream media have ignored hundreds of thousands of people in the streets. Can you imagine that? A march of 500,000 people and the BBC isn't covering it. I mean, it's completely outrageous when you think about it. So that has led to people turning away from mainstream media to alternative media sources who mm -hmm. do cover events like that. Right. So you said something interesting and you used a word in there, which I'll take some small issue with. You said Jesus freaks. Okay. So even that as small as it is, you use the noun to describe a group. Yep. Now, I know that you meant it as kind of a general statement and one that a lot of people use, but there's an immediate association. When you say the word freak, right. there's already a negative connotation. That's right. Right? That's good that you're pointing that out is accurate. What I meant to say was that there were Christian sects there who are understood to be heavily fundamentalist. Right. And people have called those kinds of people Jesus freaks, and I've just thrown that out there. So understood. I apologize if it's pejorative. But anyways, look, I get your point. It's actually a perfect segue to what I'd like to discuss, because COVID has become the central focus, but I believe that there are many things that are just as, no, actually, no, I should rephrase that, that I believe are more critical in our world today than COVID. And I'm not saying that COVID's not a problem. I'm just saying there are other issues which I believe COVID is masking. Yes, of course. Distracting us. Other problems that we confront on a global scale that are being pushed aside suddenly. Even in the health system itself, 
What happened to all the people that require hospitalization? What happened to all the people that are suffering from all kinds of other problems, not getting the attention they should be getting? Well, many of them died, of course. And Stats Canada recently came out with data on excess mortality. Mm -hmm. And it's right there in the Stats Canada site. The numbers suggest that for people under 65, three times as many people died not of COVID, but of things related to the measures taken against COVID than COVID deaths themselves, three times as many. So the collateral damage that people have been talking about over the past year and a half is there in the data now. And if that doesn't galvanize people and make people think again, it probably should. Okay, that's the key phrase, think again, because we're not trying to minimize the COVID side. We're not saying that it's not significant. It's just that it's taken the forefront on every level. And more than that, we're saying, yes, it's taken the forefront, and it is relatively significant, but relatively right. is the key word. There are many other things beyond COVID that are deadly around the world, from cancer and heart disease and diabetes and all of these things that take more people off the planet every year. But we don't see the planet locking down over these things. Right? Mm -hmm. There's concern. We recognize it. The CDC, not too long ago, came out with an interesting statistic. The CDC said 6% of all of the COVID deaths in the USA of over 500,000 people, I think going on 600,000 now, over 600,000. 6% were actually COVID related directly. 94% were only peripherally related, but mostly because these people had two and a half to three times the number of underlying conditions compared to normal people. Mm -hmm. So that 94% is not dying of COVID, but with COVID. Mind-blowing. That's a big change in the way we need to look at the severity of this disease. Right. right. Again, not to minimize, but to put into perspective. Perspective. It has to be perspective. All along, the opposition has said this has been overkill, overreaction to something which is, there are some serious complications for particular types of people, the vulnerable people. And they but, should be focused on. And they should be protected. Yes. Okay. The Great Barrington Declaration suggested that months and months and months ago, and it was derided and demeaned and attacked by the mainstream. But that document was signed off on by thousands and thousands of heavily credible epidemiologists, virologists, MDs, and health professionals. Mm -hmm. These are not mavericks. These are not discredited MDs. These are top-notch people from Stanford and Oxford, people like that, yes. saying, folks, lockdowns are not helpful. They cause more harm than good. So a lot of the people in that march were simply anti-lockdown people mm -hmm. saying, stop the lockdowns, mm -hmm. right? So all of these layers, it's complicated. All of these layers are playing into why people got out in the streets that day and continue to get out in the streets. Right? Oh, and if things are ramped up, it's already apparent that vaccine passports, travel restrictions, uh, I think New York just went into stating that by mid-September, restaurants, gyms. Entertainment facilities. Right. Broadway shows. If you're not vaccinated, you won't even be able to go in. As a business, you do not have a right to turn someone away in a wheelchair, for example. Right. You have no right to say people who are blind, we can't serve you. So, for example, people who cannot get the vaccine for health reasons, mm -hmm. you cannot discriminate against them and say, sorry, we can't serve you. That's discrimination. That person is handicapped in the sense of the vaccine right. mandates. You can't just turn them away. They have no right. 
So when I go to a restaurant door and they ask me specifically, are you vaccinated? Right. If my answer is no, and they say, well, given the current conditions and so on, you're not permitted to come into this particular facility. Then I have a right to say, unless you can show me how I am a direct threat to anyone in this establishment, you're breaking the law by turning me away, and I can bring a lawsuit against you. You have a right to do that, and I think they will begin to think twice about that. Secondly, your health information is private. You have a right to keep that private and not share that. I have a right to say to that restaurateur, I'm sorry, sir, but my health information is private and I prefer not to share that with you today. They cannot say, well, if you're not going to share it with me, you can't be in our restaurant. So even though the government has said to businesses, if you want, you can do this, they haven't mandated like New York City has, mm -hmm. that you have to do that. Right. So there's this gray area that will be challenged in the courts. So my own feeling on this is, let's say I am that individual, and mm -hmm. I choose, at this time anyway, I choose not to get vaccinated, and I encounter this situation right now. So for me, if I was wanting to get on a cruise ship, for example, and they said, well, if you're not vaccinated, you can't take the trip, I would just say, okay, fine, I won't take the trip. Mm -hmm. The reason I say this for people in terms of what are the reasons that a lot of people are succumbing to vaccination? It is mm, not yeah. strictly a health-related issue. No. A lot of people are taking it because they feel that they're going to be restricted from certain activities or from events or from doing certain things. Right. And that proves the point of people in that march who are saying we're tired of being coerced into taking this vaccine, for example. A vaccine that is acknowledged to be in its trial phases. And by definition, that means it's an experimental drug. And you cannot force an experimental drug, mandate a drug like that on the population. That's counter to the Nuremberg Code, yes. as a matter of fact. And that's referenced a lot in social media, that yes. you cannot force people to undergo a medical experiment like that unless they agree to it. And coercion is not part of that equation. So there are these codes that globally we've accepted, but nationally, all over the world, people are contravening these codes. And they'll have to come forward at some point and be tried under the Nuremberg Code, I'm afraid. Okay. I'm talking about something here a little simpler. And that is people like myself who are not likely to argue too much. I will simply make my decision based on what my priority is. So... In my case, if I'm going to be denied a trip because I choose not to get vaccinated, I accept that consequence. Okay, but let me say this. The people who do take the vaccine, not for health reasons, but for expediency, yep. okay? I want to travel, I want to get into entertainment in New York, blah, yada, yada. And yourself, the people who say, well, I just won't travel. For the people in that march, that's giving in. That is giving in, because neither of those two approaches stands up and says, hey, there's something wrong here. Why am I being coerced into taking this vaccine just to travel or to go to an entertainment? There's something wrong about the coercion itself. You're able to say, well, I won't go on the trip, but there are other people who maybe they have relatives overseas, they have to travel, they have a sick grandma, yes, yes. right? And, that, and their rights are being trampled on in that regard. Well, I totally agree, and that's why I brought this point up. I wanted to show that people like me, 
who are not invested in the same way, who do not have the same concern. I also don't have a child whose life is threatened. I also don't have a parent to consider, right? right. So there are people like me too. Oddly enough, I believe that if I choose not to do that, it's because I fundamentally believe that it's not necessarily in my best interest. So I am approaching it from a health perspective, not an inconvenience perspective. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And the point I'm trying to make with that is that if there are enough people who are truly convinced, who express or feel what I'm feeling, the sheer number and conviction will alter many things naturally. Okay. Because I suggest this, if say a restaurant, for example, if 90% of the people that go to the restaurant just say, I'm vaccinated, fine, come on in. But that restaurant's gonna have a very different situation on their hands if 30 or 40% of people say, well, I'm not vaccinated, so I guess I'm not coming in. Right, and as we know, double vaccination is topping out around 60% around the world. Right. Here in Canada, it's a bit higher. Other places, it's a bit lower. Right. That means 40% of the population are in the unvaccinated, if you like, group. So are you going to give up 40% of your business? Even if it's 20 or 30, my point is that there are non-violent, non-aggressive ways to make your point or to reach something. What I'm saying to you, and this is just my feeling, and I know that the majority certainly does not share my feeling. My feeling on this is eventually what I believe is going to happen. If the push continues the way it's going right now, they're going to elevate the resistance on one side and the aggression on the other side, depending on which side you're on. Yeah. And I don't think there's going to be a good outcome to that. So but if I simply say, okay, you're not letting me in. It's not that important to me. My choice is more important than me going to the restaurant or me taking that trip. Yeah, but you know, it's up to our leaders to represent the wishes of the people. I agree. You know? And uh, fine, individuals can say, well, I just won't go to that restaurant. But recently, our premier in Ontario, Doug Ford, when asked the question about vaccine passports, says he's not in favor of them. He doesn't want to see a two-tiered society. And I give him that. It's one of the rightest things he said all along here. Mm -hmm. But in New York City, it's different. In other countries, uh, they're talking about it more seriously. And look at Alberta. The one province in Canada that is actually going whole hog and saying, look at folks, we need to treat this as a kind of seasonal flu-like thing that we're going to live with from now on. Mm -hmm. And we're going to find treatments in the hospitals to keep that hospitalization down. But in the meantime, we're going to learn to live with this. And you can take your masks off. You can assemble. You don't have to isolate if you get COVID. That's incredibly interesting. Mm -hmm. So basically, they're saying, go back to normal. And it's going to be an interesting experiment as autumn comes in and respiratory season comes in to see whether Alberta can just hang steady or whether there's going to be a big surge there and people will say, I told you so. Mm -hmm. People love to say, I told you so from the pro side. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just like uh, Florida is getting a surge now. And people are saying, I told you so. Forgetting conveniently that for months and months and months and months, Florida did none of the masking and all those mandates mm -hmm. and their numbers were not skyrocketing. They ignore that to the point where the Delta variant starts to drop some uh, cases there. And now it's like, I told you so, see? You could have had that argument right at the beginning with Sweden. The whole extreme part of this movement that were on the streets the other day that feel that the virus doesn't exist, it never existed, that this thing is not real ultimately, that what we're looking at is a kind of a bad, bad flu, if you like, mm -hmm. a really bad flu, mm -hmm. but it's not a brand new novel virus. Okay, not so I understand that. I'm making my decision 
based on a lot of the things that you're talking about, only I'm not using them as a presentation to defend why I'm making that decision. But ultimately, what it comes down to is you either believe whatever's being offered helps you or it doesn't. Right. So the ultimate decision that people will make will be based on that, notwithstanding all these facts and figures, because you can argue back and forth for hours, days, and weeks. There are some things that neither side is going to convince the other. So for me, it comes down to what are we going to do with this disagreement? Okay, let's back it up for a second. Okay. What you said was part of it has to do with how is this going to help me? Okay, but the shaming and the guiltifying of people who don't wear masks, for example, is all about how you're not helping other people. It's not about your health. It's about your fellow human beings. So not wearing a mask, for example, you're a dangerous person because you're endangering other people. It's not just about their health. Right. right? If it's just about their health, well, you can wear a mask. And if you don't wear a mask, you understand that your health could be at risk. And so you're taking that risk. Fine. But I acknowledge all of that. Let's say that I represent the minority. Let's say that when I go out there, mm -hmm. when they see Peter coming down the street, oh, Peter, he's part of the problem. Yep. Well, what matters at that point? Unless I'm in danger of being physically assaulted or put into prison, what matters now is my reaction. So if I'm okay with being the pariah in that case, what are you going to do with it? It depends on where you are around the world. There are some right. countries where you can be arrested for not having a mask on in the streets. Right. Right. In Thailand, for example, I think that's there. So there are more repercussions. When we were on our walk, <laughs> the worst that we got was the finger from somebody in the streetcar holding the finger up exactly. on the way, you know, or a sign in a window as we're passing through the streets, Covidiots or whatever it is. That was the worst. No one attacked us. There were no police on horseback wading into the crowd as in Australia when those riots happened. If you want to create a riot, put policemen on horseback and mm -hmm. run into a crowd, right? Talk about idiocy. Anyway, we were peaceful, we were chanting, singing, we were singing the national anthem <laughs> at yep. every street corner, and we marched peacefully and made our point. And the organizers of the event really made that point. This is a peaceful protest, and it remained peaceful. Right. We exercised our right. Yes, and part of the reason why I'm taking this position on this podcast is because when I make these statements, you're making valid points, which is also that you have to consider the circumstances of every situation. Correct. So I'm fortunate that I live in a country or a place where I can have a disagreement and the worst thing I'm gonna be confronting is that I'm gonna lose some friends mm -hmm. or I'm gonna distance some family, which I've already kind of accepted and I'm not even that upset about. I realize that some people just cannot handle certain things and that I may lose some friendships or that I may lose some family connections. I'm hopeful that in the long term that we all come to our senses. And like many things, and this is where life experience is a real benefit. Everything passes. Yeah. And oftentimes when we're in the middle of something, we just cannot see beyond what we're in. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But this will pass too, or it will change or transform into something else. And all of us are going to have to rethink this. We can both be right and both be wrong. And nobody's right if everybody's wrong. <laughs> what song is that? <laughs> There's a song with that lyric. Oh, sorry. Something's Spring, happening here. Buffalo right. Springfield, right. for what it's worth. For what 19, it's worth. 1967. Still, still one of my favorite great, songs. Great, great song. In terms I agree. Of lyrics, yeah. <laughs> so this is how I see COVID right now. Sure. And I think the key is that both sides need to feel like they can be corrected if they are wrong. Yes. And there's numerous times over the past year and a half that I've said, oh, have you seen this statistic from wherever? 
And somebody said, uh, correction, no, 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 check this thing. They changed that. That is not what they had said. And I'll check that and go, yeah, got it, corrected. Thank you for that. And I'll just delete that upload if I have to, just because I made an error. So that's no longer on the airwaves for people to see. It's, you know, I've corrected it. Right? Mm -hmm. But I expect the same on the other side of the argument, and I rarely ever see that. And that's the issue. That's what brings people out on the streets is the intransigence of the mainstream narrative to even hear any sort of dissenting voice and consider it. And that's also usually a sign of excessive fear. It's a sign of authoritarianism in uh, government. Yes, the, that's the immediate response to perceived aggression. But there's also a fear factor here, which is very, very large. Some people that are pro vaccine masks and so on, it's not just the science. They are fearful. They are really afraid. In extreme cases, you lose rational thought yeah. when you're that scared. And, yeah. and what bothers me right now is not so much the arguments about facts, because Everybody can pretty much be assured that no one has all the answers and that you could argue facts on both sides. I give both sides marks. The issue to me is that none of us can be absolutely sure that we're 100% correct. Yeah, and what you said earlier, it's not so much about COVID as it's about human relationships and the future of human relationships. I think a lot of people on both sides realize that the world after COVID will be different. And the question is, these overriding of people's freedoms and rights, will that be something that becomes easier to do as time goes on and different crises emerge? Or will it not be? And that's the fear that people have, that if we accept these things, these infringements of our rights for this long, after all, the original lockdown was supposed to be for two weeks. We are now a year and a half into it, right? People on the streets are not afraid, they're angry enough to get out. So it's more, I'm angry, you know, that great movie Network, yes. I'm mad as hell, I'm not going to take it anymore. Get out, get out of your windows. Just say it, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it. That's what people were doing on the streets, expressing that feeling of enough is enough. If you push a Canadian, a mild-mannered Canadian, too far, <laughs> Canadians in the Second World War, those soldiers were famous for being suddenly, you know, if they're pushed too far, becoming ferocious fighters. And you push a Canadian too far, and he will fuck you up. Pardon my language. <laughs> well, now we're, now we're going to have to put an explicit symbol <laughs> on this podcast. Tough nookies. This is kind of a don't mistake kindness for weakness mm, yes. situation. Believe you me, there are some people in that group that I marched in who are on the verge of saying, we need to violently overthrow this government because the corruption runs deep. There are people who are there, tiny minority, but they're there and they would be happy to see that violence. Most of us would not. Right. But it's there. And if you push them far enough, you're going to see that kind of thing, as you just said. And I'm hoping in some small way. And, and again, I've posed different positions here using myself as an example to bring out all these things, because it's my hope, even in some very small way, that anyone listening to this podcast understand that buttons are being pushed everywhere here. We need to understand the volatility. Mm. Yeah, yeah. We have to be careful how we talk to each other. Stop taking pot shots at each other because you're just increasing the vitriol. Right. And we need to look at the big picture. 
too and become global citizens again. Exactly. Because since the beginning of this COVID, everything has turned inward. Nations have turned inward and done their own thing. Provinces within nations have turned inward and done their own thing. Mm -hmm. Municipalities within the provinces have done their own thing to protect their little piece of human life. But if we're to be global citizens, we have to be aware of the damages to people all around the world. The WHO recently came out with a plea for the countries that have all the vaccines to please don't use them all and buy them all up because many African nations have 1% of the population vaccinated. People need to stop the fear Yes. And begin to ramp that down and begin to think normally again. Mm-hmm. I was at an event, a local event, the first live outdoor event in the area for some time the other day. And maybe a third of the people there had no mask on. They were shaking hands with each other, hugging, what have you. And there seemed to be no fear and no trepidation. Other people were masked and being careful, and that's fine. And everyone respected each other, which was beautiful. So that was hopeful for me. That tells Mm -hmm. me that we're moving there. But we have to make that leap ultimately. And it's going to be up to the leadership to say, folks, we have to do this. The way that health officer in Alberta has done that. Hinshaw is her name. She's taking a lot of heat for it, but she's done the leap. And people have to follow her. Uh, That's another area where we have a slightly different opinion. To me, the leadership also hinges on who they're leading. In Alberta, for example, there's a fair contingent in that province who essentially agree. It's a different group of people. Politicians are also being pushed by their constituencies. So to pull that same move in Ontario would be tricky. Yeah. Okay. But, you know, as a leader, <laughs> I know, a good I, leader I know. takes a challenge like that and I says, agree. I may lose some political points for it, but it's what's best for the population. Is what's best for the population masking children into the fall when no other province in the country is doing that? Well, how is the science different in Ontario to the rest of the country in terms of masking? Isn't science supposed to be a consensus thing one way or the other? How can we have it both ways? And what leaders have to do, we have to do individually. What you just described, you analyze the situation of the leader, the things they have to look at. Yeah. The people who are against have to have a better understanding of the people who are for, and the people who are for have to have a better understanding of the people who are against. Now, I say have to. No one has to do anything. No, but it's important. Both sides tend to be simplifying the messaging about the other side, right? One side says you're deluded and the other side says you're dangerous or something. The vast majority of health experts around the world say, and there's a minority who feel the opposite, but those minority can't be credible because the majority say this. And so we have to go with the majority. In other words, that's the politicization of science. Yes. And people have started to turn against science because of that. That is not how science works. So there's that whole aspect of how do we determine that the knowledge that's out there is real and credible? And social media, the whole world of the Internet has confused things for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Too many flows of information, too many angles, and people feel very confused and they either fall away and just ignore it and just go along to just try to survive this, or they do what I did and they start to speak up, they start to do research, they go into the streets eventually if they feel strongly enough. And as a citizen, I feel that if my government is acting unjustly, Mm -hmm. if there's injustice, 
I have an obligation to speak up, not just a right, an obligation. Mm -hmm. People talk about freedoms, but they say, oh, well, what about the responsibility that goes along with freedoms? Well, my responsibility is to speak up when I feel there's a wrong happening in our society. And that's why I was out there, not because I'm an extremist or a conspiratorial tinfoil hat wearing COVIDiot. I'm a normal human being with a brain and I see injustice and I have to speak out. That's what these protests are about. Period. There's nothing for me to add to that. Ciao, Peter. Ciao, Harry. The Sill Podcast is a Connecting Dots Media production. Available at thesillpodcast.com. Thank you for your donation to The Sill Podcast.